It's time for another episode of the Cultural Hall. It's episode number 452. And ladies and gentlemen, raise your hands up in the airts. It is Lindsley. Lins, Lindsley? Lindsay. <laughs> that uh, works. Uh, listen, it, it's been a 2020. Uh, oh it's, my gosh. it's been a forever since we've talked to you. Uh, not only host of the KSL Mom Show, but also host of the Home Show, uh, where... <laughs> I, I love listening to you because you can tell really well when you know what they're talking about. And it's also, for me, because I know you well enough, it's also very transparent when you have no idea what they're talking about. And I love oh, it. Oh, really? Yeah. But just for me, I think the casual observer would go, oh, Lindsay clearly knows what she's talking about. But for me, because I know your mannerisms, because I know those things that uh, are sort of tip-offs, and because I do the same thing when I have no idea about something... It, it's very fun. I like to play that game in my head. In fact, often I find myself wanting to call you and say, you really didn't know about whatever that thing is. But then I realize it's recorded and you're not in the studio. No, we're not. But let's be honest. I know a lot of what I'm talking about. But at the same time, I can't know everything about everything. No, so. no. And no, sure. one ex- and no one expects you to. It's no sort of slight. It really is just a fun, nerdy radio game that uh, that I like to play by well, myself. Well, listen... I just get Heather in and out of the breaks. I'm not supposed to be the expert on that show. So Heather is there for that very reason, because she is the expert and she knows her stuff very well. And she's very good at that. So how the heck are you? How are you? I'm okay. How are you? I'm fine. How's your mental health in 2020? Uh, Struggling. Yeah. 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 Yep. Is it, is it the lonely part of 2020 or what, what's the mental, are you afraid to get the virus? Is that the mental, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm having really bad health anxiety, hmm. like every cough, every tickle in the throat, every um, every tightness in the chest sends me into a panic, mm-hmm. <laughs> for lack of a better word. So I have days that are better than others. But um, yeah, man, I can't I can't get out of my own head with this thing. I'm trying yeah. really hard. I've started taking medication for this very reason and uh, hoping I can just get a grip on it a little bit. You know, uh, I, I have mentioned this, but I would presume maybe that you haven't taken the opportunity to listen uh, in the last little while. I had it. I'm not sure if you knew that. I contracted oh, the I COVID. Did. Yeah. I did know that. Yes. So, and, and we haven't talked since you've had it. So yeah. I wanted to know how you were doing. Uh, you know, I'm probably in the mid 90s as far as it goes. I noticed that I don't have the same energy as I had previously. I noticed that I breathe a little harder or that I, you know, don't have quite the the breath capacity as I did before. Nothing detrimental like I'm, you know, I go up the stairs and go, <sighs> nothing like that, like right. I did when I had it. But I will say this about uh, what you're saying as far as the mental anguish that COVID brings. Try getting it. And then yeah. having and then having the mental anguish like the 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 paranoia surrounding contracting the virus is a certain level of mental anguish. But then having it and knowing that you are testing positive for said virus and that it can go whatever way it wants to. You don't get to be in charge. That for me was almost harder than the physical effects of the virus itself. Well, and I think that's what scares me the most is if I get it. I'm also going to have to deal with that mental anguish. So Mm -hmm. I'm sort of feeling that all ahead of time, if Mm -hmm. you will, (laughs) because I basically feel like I've had the virus because I just think I have it all the time. And I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't say that, you know, people who've had the virus who are really suffering from it. Don't be offended by that. I I totally understand that it's a really, really terrible thing, but um, yeah, this mental piece of it, I'd really like to stop (laughs) doing. Um, I don't know whether this is just my brain and if other people are doing it. And I think that's where the loneliness comes in for me. Sure. Is I feel like I'm the only one who's suffering in this way. Certainly there's got to be other people who are, well, but I well, don't know. Well, let, let me tell you that I know and am related to others who feel like you. And so um, there is that sort of uh, tenderness that I feel for you as I hear you describe it and knowing that you've, you know, you've taken the steps to meet with a doctor and said, you know what, I need an extra hand with that. Uh, there's no sort of shame in that, and I hope you don't feel any. So, yeah, I, I would hope that, that that feeling would be there as well. But additionally, like then you get the whole anger piece where you see people just being ridiculous about it and, it, and it is that other component where it's just like, okay, so now I 
am freaking out in my mind. I'm paranoid that everything is anything and people just don't care. Is this world, is this civilization worth living in? Right? And I feel like I and my family has sacrificed so much since this all began. Mm -hmm. And there are people who seem to be, seem to be being the key word. I don't know if this is true or my perception of it, but seem to be living normal lives. And I'm like, how are you existing the way you've always existed and going out and gathering and getting together with family? Like we haven't done any of that mm-hmm. and I'm desperate for it, but like, I just, my brain does not allow me, like it always airs on the side of caution. It's yeah. never going to allow me to just be like, Oh, this is probably safe. It's going to be like, Nope. If there's any chance that this is risky, I'm not doing it. And so I've largely, I've worked from home for seven months. I've stayed at home for seven months. I barely went into stores until recently. Mm-hmm. I just don't know how to exist in this climate, Richie. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't, yeah. I don't know how to cope. So I had a family member. We have a, we have a home on an island, which sounds, you know, super frou-frou or bougie yeah. or whatever, right? Uh, it, it's not as fancy as all that. Uh, but the family has a home on an island where one of my family members has lived for the last six months. Because there aren't any cases of COVID up there, there could be some sort of semblance of like life. And so they have been there and recently had to return for some other medical appointments. And they have they have already said, we love you very much. And as soon as we can leave again, we will be leaving again. And yeah. I know that we're missing things like, you know, I had a nephew who got married, um, other familial things, especially with the holidays. They're just like, listen, this will kill me this particular person in my family. This will kill me if I get it. So love you. I'm out. Now, I think you're yeah. th- to, to your benefit and maybe to help buoy you up in this whole thing. Like you would you I don't know you. I don't know your personal health, but I would assume you would be better off than than probably a lot of people should you actually contract the virus. That's what everyone tells me, but that doesn't help me feel any better, Mm -hmm. like to exist. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Like, I don't want to rest on that. You know what I mean? Like I, and I, I guess what I need to do is just take the, the fear out of everyday life. Like I can still take precautions without being terrified all the time. Right. And so I think that's where I've kind of gotten away from it. Like my, um, my life coach that I see and talk to kind of gave me this analogy. Like you get in a car 20 million times a day and you don't even think about it. Right. But right. one could argue that getting in a car is way more getting in a car crash is way more likely than getting COVID when you go out, depending mm-hmm. on where you're going. Right? right. But yet you, you're not really scared to get in a car, but at the same time, you're always going to buckle your seatbelt. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get in a car with a drunk driver. You're going to take every precaution you can not to get in a crash, but you don't do it with fear. Yep. And and the more you do it, the more comfortable you get with it. Now, I'm not suggesting everyone just run out in public because I do think we need to kind of amend our lifestyles a little bit. But sure. you know, the more times you kind of dip your pinky toe in that water, the more comfortable you get that you can exist in this world with COVID, but it's still a struggle for me. Yeah. Not going to lie. Yeah. Um, I like know all that, but yet I still feel constant fear and anxiety. Yeah. I like to call it like the Ferris wheel. Like if you, you know how it always seems to be whenever you go to the carnival, like it's always going. I get really good about riding that, uh, that Ferris wheel at night. Like if I start mm. to worry about things or like if I, if I am like, oh, my arm never hurt like that before COVID is, am I having heart symptoms? Right. right. And just, and just trying to be like, oh, okay. You know what? Listen, I have done at this point everything I could. I didn't mean to get the virus. I'm taking care of myself. I'm trying to get back to where I was as far as exercise go. I'm doing the best I can. And and at some point, that really is the best we can do. You may contract it. You may not contract it. But if you end up do contracting it, it's going to be a pretty unique situation because you're not someone who's going to a concert, to a wedding, to a this, to a that. It, it would be under very specific circumstances that you ended up getting it and at that point could you or what kind of life would that have looked like if you wouldn't have done that particular thing I know and everybody says oh you got to live some semblance of your life and that's that's true but if we all do that then we're not going to mitigate this virus like I don't know I just 
And what was hard for me is I had largely been living a sheltered life since March, mm-hmm. but I covered the vice presidential debates the other day for KSL News Radio. Mm-hmm. And this was a week ago. And ever since then, my brain is convinced that's where I contracted it. Mm. And my minor sore throat this week and <laughs> like yeah. is every symptom. Nothing's gotten worse. Nothing's developed, but I constantly am convinced that I, that I caught it and I just can't logic my way out of this. It's really hard. Yeah. You know, the hard thing for me on another side of it, and then maybe we get into some actual articles of news. The hard thing for me- No, I think people want to hear about this more, (laughs) frankly. (laughs) Yeah, well, and especially since there's not a whole ton of news this week, but a unique scenario that I have found myself struggling with since I contracted it and then came out on the other side, if I'm being completely honest, it's it's a little harder for me to wear the mask now, knowing that scientifically I can still get it again. But for this short window of time, the likelihood of me getting it is far less than someone contracting it for the first time. And so like it has been and I've done it. So everyone back off. I've done, you know, I have still sanitized my hands, wash my hands, wear the mask at work, all the things like that. But there is a part of me that's like, This is so very letter of the law and I am so spirit of the law. Like, guys, I'm not going to get you. You can give me the stink eye. I don't have it. I'm not going to get you. You're not going to give it to me. This is a different circumstance, but having to just be like, okay, you know what? It is the social contract that we have made at this time. I'm going to wear a mask. I'm going to do all the things because I don't want you to think for a second that I'm being that jerk that's not doing those things. Yeah. And frankly, I still just think there's a lot we don't know about the virus. And so like, you know, who who knows if you're not contagious anymore? Like, I don't know. I just I'm just sick of this, Richie. And (laughs) I I don't know. I've done therapy. I'm doing therapy. Mm -hmm. I'm now on medication. I just like I don't know what else to do and I need to like figure out my mindset and change my mindset because it's it's just exhausting to have, live like this. Have you done the uh, socially distant exchanges like at parks or gone on Zoom and just asked to hang out with friends and just tell stories and and sort of, you know, give your your brain that distraction? Yeah, I've done a handful of that. You know, it's hard. Um, I think part of the hard part, too, is like, oh, I want to run to the store. But in running to the store requires all the thoughts that like you have to now pay attention to, right? Mm -hmm. Where's my mask? Where's my hand sanitizer? How long am I going to be in this store? How many people are going to be in this store? Like this is just all like mental work that Mm -hmm. we never had to do before. Mm -hmm. And it's almost just like, whatever, I'm just going to order it online because I can't, (laughs) I, I, I don't know if it's safe. And like, I think what the biggest piece for me is just living in this uncertainty is driving me crazy. And It's like the uncertainty of one, is this cough a thing Mm -hmm. or this, you know, this tickle in my throat, is this a thing? And two, it's like, okay, what have I done in the last week that I could have contracted it? You know, like who was I with? Did going to that one party store because I needed things for my daughter's birthday put me at risk? And why didn't I just order that online? Like, it's almost like if if everything's going to put me at risk, my brain's going to air to let me just order everything offline, you know, but, but like you said, you still have, you still want to and have to live some semblance of a normal life. So you just don't know what things are going to put you at risk. And everyone has a different opinion about what things are risky. And, you know, and so part of me just wants to be like, all right, as long as I wear the mask everywhere, I'm fine. Mm -hmm. But the other part of me is like, no, anywhere I'm inside, I'm not, you know, so right. I just don't know. I just don't have the answers. And that's what's driving me crazy is living in this uncertainty. Well, a couple things about that. One, why anyone would go to a store ever again, I don't understand. Between, <laughs> because- I, I, and I'm being serious. Like, oh, okay, that last minute thing you need to grab from the grocery store. Sure. Like, I understand that. Like, ah, crap, we needed corn for the tortilla, whatever things, right? Sure. That I understand. The weekly trip to the grocery store where you wander around the aisles and you have screaming kids who want candy or the toy or the ball or the anything, you do not have to do anymore. Amazon, a long time ago, took away anything that we would have to do as far as purchase goods go, literally to your doorstep. So that, done, right? That Yeah, and Target does the same thing. You drive up, pop your trunk, yep. here's your order. Yep. And yeah, no, certainly I know you can get everything you need online, but part of me misses just wandering stores. Sure. 
And, and I just miss like the not worry. Like, do I have to worry when I walk by these strangers that like I'm breathing the same air that they are? Like, you just, you just don't know. Yeah. The other thing uh, I know from talking to several folks about it is that there's some component of like, if we knew, right? Like if it's like, hey, January 1, 2021, this is over. A lot of us would be doing a lot better, right? Because it's like, okay, it's a waiting game. We know that at this point, this is going to go away. There was a certain aspect that I related to that with my mission. Like there was a part of my mission where I just was like, okay, listen, I've made it, you know, 21 months. I, I could go home now and be just fine. But these last three months, I can look to a calendar date and be like, that's the end. But when we don't know, we don't know how long it's going to be. We don't know what that time is going to look like. I think that's the, the part that really plays a big old trick on us. Yeah, because even getting back to some semblance of normalcy is going to require the vaccine and everyone taking the vaccine. And that's going to be a slow rollout. And like they keep they keep giving us this like hope of like, okay, by the end of the year. Mm -hmm, Right. mm -hmm, I I mm -hmm. keep feeling like we just have to get to 2021. But it's it's going to take months, maybe half the year next year for it to roll out, I think. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And then the other thing is, um, Like, it just doesn't matter. Anything that you do is on some level a risk. So I'm going to share these two things with you just very quickly. Then we'll take a break. We don't have a ton of news, so I'm fine with that. Uh, Coming up in the third block of the Culture Hall, we're going to talk with a couple of BYU professors. They're undergoing what's called the BYU Slavery Project, and they're going to tell us all about what that research is and what they hope to find. That's coming up. But uh, I met with a mother of a bride for a wedding that's coming up, and she said, listen, we're very worried about the virus. We don't know how to do this safely. We want to make sure that we're doing it safely. We have 150 people that are coming. And, I, and, and she's like, you know, when we want to dance and all these things. And I was like, well, you, you can't. I, like, I, 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 but if you're worried about like all of these people and this is a smaller venue and you want to do all these things, that there isn't a way to do these things. So I don't know if you need me to tell you that or you just wanted to have that whatever reaffirmed, but there there isn't a way for you to do that. And then the second thing, is, and this is maybe a warning or a heads up to everybody, I had somebody in my studio uh, here, the home studio, recording with a client who he was coughing a little bit. And I was like, hey, have you had that checked out? And he was like, listen, I, I'm fine. I swear it's not covid I'm fine. And the next day, after I had spent several hours with him in my studio, he sent me a message because contact tracing is a real thing. And he's like, guess what? COVID. So if you if you have symptoms of any kind, you're not a doctor, unless you're a doctor, of course. But otherwise, it, you're not a doctor. Stay away from people. Even if you're like, oh, these aren't the listed symptoms for COVID or I'm feeling fine. It's probably just a whatever. Like, let's all err on the side of looking out for the Lindsay's of the world in the grocery (laughs) store and just let her wander the aisles in peace for five minutes. Well, yes, please. But here's the thing, Richie, did yours like, did you know, right? I mean, you got tested before you started having symptoms. You already knew. I knew I had had COVID. I knew I had been exposed. I had, I had no idea that I had it. I knew I had been exposed. And so my wife, who can sometimes sort of spin on these things as well, I wanted to give her the confirming mind that I did not have it, uh, felt good, got the the positive test back. And then uh, I was supposed to go do a wedding that night, had to farm it out to DJ Rob, who I didn't know is a DJ. Craziest thing. Um, And then that night was when I started to feel the really crummy symptoms and then went downhill from there. So, I mean, you don't know. If you're exposed, if you feel like it's at all a risk, you go and you get tested. In most cases, you don't ever have to pay for it. Insurance, if you have it, can cover it. A lot of places, you don't even have to have the insurance in order to have the test covered. But if you've been exposed, you need to take it seriously. Otherwise, you could be an asymptomatic spreader. Yeah. And I guess my question is, did your symptoms kind of come on all at once? Or like, is this sore throat that I'm feeling <laughs> like yeah, yeah. just just my, in my mind? Well, I mean, it, I mean, it's hard. It's hard to say. I don't know if you've been tested before, but I would I, ima- I would imagine that with you and your husband that you guys have insurance um, and that you have the ability to get tested. A lot of people think that you have to be told that you can go get tested. I have not found that to be accurate. I have just gone to the testing place and said, hey, test me. And they're like, are you? And I'm like, listen, I'm here. Test me. And you can just have that peace of mind. 
in, you know, anywhere from a couple hours to a couple days knowing, okay, I don't have it. It was something else. Or I do have it. I need to make sure I stay away from folks. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've been tested once at a Walgreens yeah. because I don't want to do the nose swab. So yeah. I just wanted to do a rapid test. And I know those are less accurate, but um, I had good reason to believe that my test was negative And I wasn't at that point wasn't around. But now I'm like, did that debate was that I was out with like hundreds of people, but I was outside, but I wore an KN95 mask the whole time. And you're just like, replaying every step and every conversation you had and sure every I, I would say if you're worried about it in the slightest I would go get it done yeah but again I'm no doctor I just play one on this show available in podcast form let's take a break and when we come back in the second block we will hit up uh, the very few news stories for this last week Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Here in the second block of the Cultural Hall, it is Articles of News, so we'll get to those in just a minute. Don't forget that you can become uh, a part of that Facebook group, the Cultural Hall Back Row. You don't have to pay anything to be a part of that. It's just about 135 people hanging out there. Uh, and having a good time talking about their favorite show available in podcast form. You do have to ask to be admitted, and then we let you in, but that's the the only stipulation there. You can also be a part of the Patreon group, which is the secret but not sacred group. It does cost a little bit there, 3 5 or $10 a month. You can go to patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall and join that conversation. You get all the cool videos like the one that Lindsay and I are recording right now. So they get to see your sweet made-up face with your awesome green green screen not really complete green screen something's going on with it background yeah oh she disappeared the problem is i have a uh like a soundproofing thing around my mic mm. and so it takes up half my face ah. i need to talk in it because either my audio sounds like this or it sounds like this yeah 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 so. don't do that talk into it yeah you yeah. can hear the difference yeah. when i don't talk into it yes. so yeah so uh, go do that. Be a part of those groups. Let's do some actual articles of news. Hit it, Peter. You can't lose articles of news. You know, speaking of COVID, uh, this is a, a first story out of BYU, Idaho. <laughs> I'm not sure if you saw this, but apparently it is a thing up in Rexburg because uh, if you have had COVID and you've got the antibodies in, in your blood uh, and you want to go and donate plasma, Instead of making like the forty or fifty dollars for per plasma donation, you can make up to a hundred dollars per donation. Meaning you could make two hundred dollars a week. Meaning you could make eight hundred dollars a month just for plasma. And so apparently, uh, there have been some BYU Idaho students who have said, "This is great. Somebody get me the somebody get me the coronavirus so I can start making some money on it." So they're like intentionally catching COVID. Yeah, like COVID parties, like. Find the person, you know, kiss the person, whatever the thing may be. And it, and it's gotten so bad, at least to the point that it became a news story. And BYU-Idaho has said, if we find out that you are someone who did this, you will be either suspended or expelled from BYU-Idaho. They have no tolerance for this. And, and, yeah. and good. Yeah, that doesn't help people at all. It's the same kind of thing where I have heard stories here locally about parents not testing their kids because they don't want the school shut down right yeah because they might be the 15th kid in the school district to get it and yep. yeah so here here this, in utah if 15 kids at a particular school all have COVID at the same time it shuts the school down i had a conversation with someone i consider to be a very responsible adult the other night who said yeah we think we may have had it but our our son is doing really well in his senior football season and we don't want the school's football team to not be able to play so they won't get tested and that just i just want to scream 
I, it's like biological warfare. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. that's literally what you're doing is you're you're allowing a dangerous virus to continue spreading. Because football. Because football, Lindsay. Because football. Yeah. Because football. I mean, you're a Patriots fan. Would you want your beloved Patriots to stop playing? No, listen, my Patriots have had to to move games all over the place because Cam Newton tested positive. Yeah. So listen, I get it. And I get how many sacrifices people have had to make. I have a daughter turning six and her birthday party is this uh, drive through scavenger hunt this year where people are just going to wave to her uh, from their cars. And that is not fun for her. <laughs> like yeah. I desperately want her friends to come over, but we're making sacrifices this year because we're living through a global pandemic and it feels like some people are making them and others are not. Did, does she get it? Does she understand it? You think? Yeah, she's a really good kid. I think she understands, you know, that mom's just trying to keep her safe. And, and you know, kids are resilient, right? At least the little ones, mm -hmm. they like to them, it's just you wear a mask and wash your hands. Like that's what they do now. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, she's gone into kindergarten. Does, um, she, does and she go into kindergarten? No, she's all online okay. and that's a whole nother thing, the way school's going. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know that I'm comfortable to send her back. So I'm kind of grateful the district just made the decision for us. But, um, you know, she just knows when we leave the house and we're going to run somewhere, it's grab your mask and it's wash your hands when you get home. And those are the rules. And so she doesn't like put up a fight or anything. It's not hard to get her to do the things. And I don't think she'll be scarred for life. It'll just be like, remember that time when I was five and there was a global pandemic? Like, I'm glad we don't have to do that anymore. But. Mom, do you remember my worst birthday party ever? Seriously, my sixth birthday. Well, I'm doing that a lot with um, with school because I keep like this is her introduction into public school education, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Is is two hours a day online that mm -hmm. mom resentfully has to help her with. Like, <laughs> I'm wondering if I'm screwing up her, her her journey into education, or am is it just like. It's kindergarten. We'll yeah, be fine. you'll be fine. It's fine. Yeah. You'll be fine. Yeah. It's fine. Uh, what what news stories do you have? I've got a couple if you don't have um, something let's queued see. up. Myth the Mormon. Did you guys talk about that? N no, I love this. In fact, that's where I was going to go from Joe Biden. Yeah. Yep. So apparently Joe Biden had difficulty remembering who Myth the Mormon was. He was answering questions about whether Supreme Court nominee Amy Coney Barrett's uh, Catholic belief should play a part in her confirmation hearings. And then he responded, you may remember I got in trouble when we were running against the senator who was a Mormon, the governor. OK, I took him on and no one's face should be questioned, but he couldn't remember Mitt's name. Yeah. basically. Just called him the Mormon. Yeah, the Mormon. That, it, that one guy. It's because he has dementia and he's too old. <laughs> well, and that's uh, uh, that's literally what I thought when I heard that. I was like, oh, no, Republicans are going to run with this. And here's senile Joe. But yep. that, good old yeah, Joe. We move on really quickly in 2020. Yeah. So to what yeah. to what else could we possibly have to talk about? Uh, <laughs> We've already moved on. I I thought this was interesting. Speaking of names and what we call people, uh, you you may know the uh, model Lucky Blue Smith, a handsome gentleman, uh, raised in Spanish Fork, Utah, who's raised a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. Uh, he has now had a, a child with his girlfriend. And what have they decided to call her? This is just worth bringing up because, you know, we members of the church really like to give fun names to our kids. Normally, it is a normal name that's spelled differently. But in the case of Lucky Blue Smith, and this is literally the entirety of this story, he named his daughter Rumble Honey Smith. Rumble Honey. Rumble Honey. Interesting. Yep. I you don't know. I don't know if it's genealogical. I don't know if it's genealogical. I don't know if it's a tribute to... Great, great, great grandpa Rumble, but Rumble Honey Smith. Rumble Honey, you know, to each their own with the names. You never know if a name has a meaning. It's certainly not a conventional name, but yep. neither is Brentley Lily. So yeah, Lily, Lily, Lie, Lie, Lily, Nathan. No offense to all the Brentleys <laughs> <Yeah>. out there. <laughs> Although at some point, are we going to get tired of adding an L Y to just you know? It's like it's richly. It's <laughs> You know, it's Lindsay, Lindsay Lily, you know, like it's guys, guys, that's well, not no, a name. It's, it's spelled R-I-C-H-L-E-I-G-H. Yeah. That's how it's yes. spelled. Richly. Yeah. Uh, Richly. Uh, uh, but we're just going to call her Rich. Yeah. Which, is, you know, anyway. 
Uh, You know, Russell M. Nelson, that's just a standard name. Also the name of the prophet of the church, Russell. Uh, New book that this is kind of cool. I like these daily devotions. This is, again, just another quick story. It's called Daily Joy. It's a devotional for each day of the year. Uh, Look forward for that to be at Deseret Book. But it's just a, a quick moment, a thought from President Nelson to start each day. Here's a thought from President Nelson from something that he said in his more than 800 messages in the time that he has been either an apostle or the prophet. Um, So pretty awesome. It's called Daily Joy. That's cool. Um, Did you guys talk about none of the 12 besides Elder Gong have COVID? We did. Okay. And that's still the case. So worth restating as far as that goes. Um, we didn't talk about this, the, uh, new volume of the Joseph Smith papers. Have you read any of this or hopped online to the Joseph Smith papers, Lindsay? No, it's, it's, uh, I think it's great information. The Joseph Smith papers project, and we've spoken to a few of the people uh, that work with it is really just trying to be as transparent as it possibly can be. Right. And they're publishing most, if not everything that we have from the prophet Joseph Smith, from things like. You know, if he had receipts from a store, like they would put it as part of the Joseph Smith papers, or if he's like, he left a note, it's like, Emma went to the gym, we'll be back. Like those kind of things would be in the Joseph Smith papers. Obviously, it's more serious than that. And it's thing like journal entries and some of that stuff. Um, But this latest one, which is volume 11, there are things like it talks to, it talks about um, one of the times that he was in court in Missouri. Uh, The time frame on this is 18... 42 September 1842 through February 1843 so a relatively short time it also talks about uh, doctrine and covenants section 128 um, which is when Joseph was um, sort of self-isolating which is you know we hear that and we go wait we know what that is Um, he was hiding in the home of Edward Hunter can't leave and doesn't have anything to do so Joseph utilizes his time and and shares additional instructions to the church for keeping more accurate records regarding baptisms for the dead but the one part that about this that I thought was particularly interesting is a letter from the apostle Lorenzo Snow to Joseph Smith dated October 10th 1842 gives details about the growth of the church in London. And one item in the letter that stands out is when Snow describes delivering a copy of the Book of Mormon that has been specifically bound in fine leather to a person who is able to get it to Queen Victoria, the Queen of England. An image of the book is included both online and in this particular volume. And it is uh, a early-timey Book of Mormon for a queen. It is like etched and colored and just I I don't even know what that book would cost now if someone wanted to buy it but it's a gorgeous gorgeous historical piece so that's uh, the 11th the 11th volume the 22nd installment as it were how lovely um did you hear about Donny Osmond's wedding yeah he got wait a minute Donny Osmond has been married no I know I I meant the wedding he officiated no (laughs) Donny Osmond found the perfect vestment to perform a wedding a red, yellow, green, brown, scarlet, black, purple, white, and pink, orange, and blue coat. Mm -hmm. Apparently, speaking of famous Mormons, he um, donned the colorful costume he wore in Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat when he pronounced his friends, husband, and wife. Now, I have a question about this, and I need to do a little bit more research. You'll find that link uh, along with this show notes for this episode at theculturalhall.com, but... If I understand correctly, in order to marry someone as a member of the church, you have to be either a bishop or a stake president. Like I, being a member of the church, I don't think that I can, within the authority of the church, just go and marry someone. And further... Well, I'm, I can't confirm that he was marrying other more. I don't think he was marrying other Mormons. I don't know. No, 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 no. So, but he was performing this ceremony for other people, right? For his friends. Yeah, but maybe but, he's just ordained. You can get it ordained online, can't right? You? But here is the sticky widget, Lindsay. Throw your hands up in the air. It's, if you affiliate yourself with another religious organization, which technically those of which you would register online, it is grounds for church discipline. 
Well, listen, I'm not here to judge Donny Osmond. I'm not here either. I'm not here either to do that. But it that that is very much a thing because I've looked into officiating because I DJ weddings. I've looked into officiating at weddings, and as it was explained to me, that is a, a thing that. Is a is a little uh, a little no no a little uh, poo poo a little uh, hush well, hush. Well, you talked about Lucky Smith earlier and his baby with his girlfriend. Is that okay? Well, we didn't mention that one. Well, well I mean, I don't I don't want to pass judgment. There well, exactly, either. that's sure, what I'm saying. Sure. We're not we're not passing judgment here. Well, we're just well, I'm stories. I'm making a deal of it because I would like to officiate a wedding. And I don't feel like I can. Listen, once oh. you've been X'd and then brought back in, you have to walk a very tight rope because they'll get you. They will All get right. you. And you also, you know, announce it publicly, which well, he did as well. He put it on Facebook. Yes. So I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know those rules. I don't know either. How many other stories do you have? Uh, I've got I've got one more and it's and it's uh, it's a sad tragedy. Oh, yeah. Let's just wrap with that. Okay. <laughs> Sad uh, tragedies. No, this, I mean, this is terrible. This just came out just the other day. A missionary serving for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints passed away in Switzerland. Um, the following is a statement from the church from the spokesman Daniel Woodruff. It says, we are deeply saddened to share the news of the passing of a young missionary serving in Switzerland. Sister Annabelle Nielsen, age 20 of Highland, Utah, passed away Tuesday following a hiking accident. She and five other missionaries were hiking when she tragically slipped and fell down a steep incline. She had been serving as a missionary since July of 2019, so was due pretty quickly to come home and was assigned to the Alpine German-speaking mission. We express our sincere condolences to her family and loved ones. We pray they will feel the peace and comfort of our loving Heavenly Father as they deal with this tragedy and honor her life. We also pray for the other missionaries who were with Sister Nielsen at the time and are working to provide them with the necessary support as they process what happened. This is from the church newsroom. Again, you can find a link to this at theculturalhall.com, but you can just tell she's just, you know, the sweetest of sister missionaries who just had sought to, to seek and do the, you know, the Lord's will and just an accident as they, as they were out, likely enjoying, you know, a, a preparation day and and being able to be in the country to enjoy some of the beautiful things and accident happened and then uh, ended up passing away. So crummy. Yeah, that's hard. That's way hard for family too, as they're back here and, you know, thinking their daughter's safe out there. And then, yeah, like you said, tragic accident. Yep. So that's a bummer way to end this thing. Do we have any happier news? Uh, uh, you recovered from COVID. We yeah. should all celebrate that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I should also mention that um, coming up on next week's Articles of News, uh, I've got someone from the church. We're going to talk a lot about Liberty Jail. I don't know if you listened to a lot of General Conference, and it seems like Liberty Jail was like the subtext of this last General Conference. Uh, he's going to come on and talk to us about like 10 things that we don't know about the time in Liberty Jail. So I'm looking forward to that discussion. Fascinating. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think maybe, maybe if that can be, if I can attribute some sort of happiness to a time when the prophet was imprisoned, it's that idea that it's but a short time and that we are able to, to um, be bettered for it. And hopefully that's what this time that we have to be with our families more, to be more socially distant. Hopefully we come out on the other side, not only stronger as a nation, stronger as people, but... Um, stronger as as uh, as followers and disciples of Christ. Yeah, I keep thinking about how um, home centered church. Like, how is that not a thing? L- like a, a prophecy. Do you know what I mean? Like right. there, like the fact that that he did that, you know, a year ago or two years ago, whenever it was, mm-hmm. and now we're all at home and literally can't go to church for some people. I, I just keep thinking about how there's no other way to explain that. Yep. Yep. Well, I hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, Lindsay. Hey, this is Dan, the Laptop Man from PC Laptops. It's our ultra-mega back-to-school blowout sale. We have hundreds of thousands of dollars of ultra-high-quality laptops and desktops on sale for up to 50% off the original prices. We've got demos, scratch and dents, trade-ins, and funny colored computers. It's crazy! Remember, you get a lifetime service guarantee on any PC Laptops brand computer. That means if you mess up your windows or you get a virus or spyware, it's covered forever. Got an old yucky computer? No problem. We'll take it in on trade and we'll transfer all your pictures, music, and all your stuff to your PC Laptops computer for free. When you get your computer from PC Laptops, we'll make sure you're taken care of for a lifetime. 
To make it impossible to resist, we're doing 12-month special financing on any PC, laptops, desktop, or laptop computer. Have I lost my mind? Get into any one of our locations right now or check us out at PCLaptops.com. PC Laptops, where computers start at $7.99. PC Laptops, we love you. Here in the third block of the Cultural Hall, I'm excited about this because the amount of emails that went back and forth to arrange this third part of the Cultural Hall, uh, it, I think it was 117 emails, but I'm joined uh, by Christopher Jones and Matthew Mason, who are working on... I want to say groundbreaking. Maybe they'll tell us a little bit more. The BYU Slavery Project. Uh, welcome in, you guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Now, uh, Chris, uh, I'm sorry, Christopher. We made we made very uh, <laughs> we made very sure of that. I would do Christopher, and then I said Chris right out of the gate. Uh, tell good. tell everybody what this project is. I was really excited when I found out about it, and even more excited when I found out that it was BYU that was doing it. Uh, sure. Uh, just in perhaps the simplest form, uh, the BYU project is a uh, collaborative project uh, run by both faculty and assisted by students here at BYU that is studying the founding of Brigham Young University, its early history, and the legacies of slavery here at the university. Okay. So then, Matthew, let me ask you, uh, why is this coming about now? Is it in reaction to things that have been happening within the news, or was it something that's always been coming? Yeah, we, op we always operate in conversation with contemporary concerns. Historians always do that. And as a result, many other universities over the last two decades or so have been studying their connections with uh, past slavery. But it's, it's not driven by contemporary headlines in the way that it takes a while for these things to gestate uh, and turn into actual projects. Uh, Christopher was the original founder and it was well over a year ago that he oh wow kind of got this bee in his bonnet and uh and that's that's lightning fast by byu bureaucracy standards to get something up and running within a year you don't have to tell he, me that <laughs> right, but he can tell you more about that those origins but we are kind of you know a couple decades into multiple universities in the united states and other countries studying their connections with slavery tell me about that bee in your bonnet christopher uh, sure. I don't know that I would describe it quite that way, but uh, uh, this this had its origins about a year ago uh, when a colleague of mine at the University of Utah, uh, Dr. Paul Reeve, um, put up a Facebook post one morning um, announcing something that he and other researchers had found as part of a, a project that he runs there out of the U called the Century of Black Mormons Project, which is an effort to identify and document um, and describe the lives of every Black Latter-day Saint between 1830 and 1930. Hmm. And Dr. Reeve had been contacted uh, last spring or last summer in 2019 um, by the city of Salt Lake, who asked him if he knew whether or not an enslaved man living in Utah in the 1850s, uh, known only as Tom, uh, was in fact a member of the church or not. And uh, Paul was familiar with Tom. He was a uh, enslaved black man brought from Tennessee to Utah uh, a couple of years earlier by um, a Latter-day Saint convert named Hayden Wells Church. And then subsequently, it looks like at some point had been transferred, uh, the ownership of, of Tom had been transferred to Abraham Smoot, uh, who was Bishop of the Sugar House Ward and later became uh, Mayor of Provo and an early benefactor of what was initially called Brigham Young Academy, later Brigham Young University. Um, and so Paul went looking for this baptismal record, and to his great delight, he found it in a microfilmed copy at the Family History Library, uh, noting that Tom, uh, I think he's identified as Bishop Smoot's Negro in the record, hmm. um, had been baptized. And uh, this raised my interest uh, both professionally and personally, uh, professionally because I study the relationship between religion and slavery, though not always in the Latter-day Saint context. And personally, because Tom's owner who brought him with him across the plains, Hayden Wells Church, is one of my own ancestors. Oh, wow. Uh, and this was something, yeah, this was something I didn't know about. I knew that uh, my ancestor had been a slave owner in Tennessee, um, but I knew nothing about him bringing this enslaved man, Tom, with him to Utah or uh, Tom's ultimately fa ultimate fate. So I reached out to Paul and I expressed both my personal and professional interest in this. And I said, we need to do something here. Uh, what, what can be done? And he said, I don't know. Ask around at BYU. <laughs> um, and so I took this question and I, I was a brand new, uh, newly hired assistant professor here at BYU. And so I very nervously approached my dean about this and asked if we could set up a meeting to chat about 
what might be done. And uh, my Dean Ben Ogles in the College of Family, Home and Social Sciences uh, expressed support immediately and said, uh, I know that there's other universities that um, have taken on kind of historical research projects investigating their uh, institutions ties to slavery. BYU is probably a little bit different, but what if we tried something like that here? Hmm. And I said, that sounds great. And so Dean Ogles took that question up the line, and we eventually received approval from uh, BYU's administration to launch this collaborative project uh, that aims to uncover uh, and make sense of and understand individuals like Abraham Smoot's historical ties to slavery. What I think is most interesting about this is I think that there are a lot of people who, if they hadn't known in the last couple of years, are hearing this now for the first time and going, wait a minute, we had slaves in, you know, slavery in the state of Utah. For a lot of people, I, I don't know that, that they associate slavery with the state of Utah, right? Whether it's divided by a chronological time gap or they just... They knew how other church leaders felt about slavery and just kind of thought, oh, no, no, we didn't do that. Wait, we did that? So for them to, to, to learn about that and to have a project like this to uncover more about that is going to be vital. So, Matthew, why do you – what's your connection? Why did you jump on board with the new guy? Yeah, when Christopher uh, had this head of steam behind him, I wanted in on it because I am also a historian of slavery. And – Christopher, he did his graduate work at William & Mary, where they have a whole project to study their connections with it. Uh, one of the early versions of this study was at the University of Maryland, where I went to graduate school, and my I, my advisor had kind of led some of those efforts. So I, I just wandered in on and thought I might be able to help, um, help us think through the whole history of slavery as context for what was happening uh, at BYU. There are a lot of eyes, I would imagine, uh, on the project. Certainly people, as they hear this, their their ears perk up. And, and maybe we're one of the first to talk to you guys about it. But a lot of attention, especially of late, has been turned to Abraham Smoot and to who he was and whether or not the building should be named and, and all of the context there. Do you guys feel a particular um, amount of pressure because of the, the eyes on that? That's a good question. I don't know that we feel pressure. Uh, Matt opened by noting that what historians research and write about is always shaped by present day concerns and contexts. And I imagine a lot of uh, responses to this project will be shaped by similar concerns and similar politics and similar headlines in the news today, uh, both here locally, uh, but also uh, nationally and internationally with the Black Lives Matter movement, ongoing racial conflict and so on. Um, we have uh, tried our best, and I think we've been successful so far in maintaining the scholarly integrity of the project. We're not an advocacy organization. We're not, a, we're not attempting to, at this point, explicitly weigh in one way or the other on the naming of buildings or otherwise. Um, what we hope is that the research that we do, and especially that our students do, can help uh, the Latter-day Saint community, the BYU campus community, um, both be aware of, better understand, and ultimately come to terms with, I guess, what we might call some of the more complicated or darker points in our history, including that of uh, early members of the church and uh, certain individuals affiliated with Brigham Young Academy and Brigham Young University, their ownership of slaves or their pro-slavery speeches or other such things. So how does this work? Students that uh, want to be involved, is it a practicum class? Is it a, you know, you come to class the first day and there's a bunch of names in a hat and everyone has to do essentially a report and research about that person? Or, or how, what's the structure, Matt? Yeah, so we have uh, 14 uh, students. We had interest from more than 14. I would imagine. So we, we've been able to um, select them based on we wanted um, people to be committed to the project. We also wanted uh, diversity in terms of ethnic diversity and gender diversity, but also diversity of majors. So we have a kind of interdisciplinary points of view um, while we're studying this history. And so we've started with some common readings that have allowed us to think about the first set of readings were the reports from a lot of um, scholars and universities who've been studying their ties with slavery. And we've had uh, a guest, uh, Professor Adam Rothman from Georgetown University, come in and talk talk with us via Zoom about kind of what he's learned about. In many ways, what Christopher was talking about, that you're doing, the universities at their best are places for reasoned dialogue based on scholarship, 
and that that has been his experience, even though they've uncovered some very painful truths about the history of slavery at Georgetown, they've been able to operate in an atmosphere of doing scholarship and then having that pursuit of truth inform the discussion. And then we've moved on to other kind of, one of the things that makes BYU setting unusual is the prevalence of the Indian slave trade that then morphed into Latter-day Saints adopting previously enslaved, sometimes um, Native Americans. We've had discussions surrounding that, and we'll continue to explore that as an unusual angle at Mm -hmm. BYU that didn't exist at, say, Georgetown. So we've started with these kind of structured common readings and discussions thereof. We're nearing the end of those discussions. And then we have had a set of things that we want to have students research as part of the project, because we want we expect to learn a lot about Abraham Smoot and about various other uh, big con- contexts uh, or surrounding early BYU history. Um, some students generated their own research projects that we thought really fit well, and then others came from a list of topics we knew we wanted to have researched. And so they're very early in the process of doing that research right now. Is the research that is done by students at BYU, I guess in any context as uh, this question applies, but specifically in this one, will their research be available? Is it published in a way that at the end of the road of this whole thing that people can can read and and, and find out what what they find out, Christopher? Uh, so, so not always or not necessarily, but yeah, we hope to use the research that the students do in this class this semester, and then we'll be teaching another iteration of this class next fall as well. And we hope to take their collective research and potentially publish some of that with the students, or at least be able to present it publicly in some fashion. It's interesting to me. I think that BYU maybe sometimes gets, I I hate the phrase, a bad rap, but to some hearing that BYU is fully embracing a project like this would be surprising. Do you think that it falls in line with what you guys know about BYU or, or were you surprised that they said, yeah, full steam ahead? Yeah, I've learned um, sometimes to be surprised when you get positive responses from BYU administrators within a year that very often it's much longer than that or a, or a, or a no. But um, this idea of involving students in the pursuit of scholarship is not at all surprising to me from BYU because it's so that nicely combines the best of BYU. As professors, we are expected to be uh, productive scholars, but also to be very engaged teachers and anything involving students, you can always get support from BYU for. So it's, it's, it operates at that intersection. Yeah, it may be surprising to many that BYU would be willing to uh, support something that could, un- we expect will probably, we don't know what, exactly what to expect, but we expect the research probably will uncover some very uncomfortable things about BYU's history in the context of its early uh, history. But that seems to me, I'm not fully engaged in Mormon history, but it does seem to me in keeping with kind of the overall approach since at least the President Hinckley era of, you know what, find the truth and uh, we'll deal with it after that. Um, Of course, that ebbs and flows and Christopher works more in that kind of field, but as a kind of semi-outsider, that seems to me to be in keeping with the kind of current ethic of the church towards its history. What about you, Christopher? Were you surprised being the new guy here comes you know, bring bringing the new ideas. Come on board, Matthew. Let's do this. And and now that you, you've got the backing and are going full steam ahead this semester, um, I wasn't necessarily surprised. Uh, no, I think that um, if you look at the supporting organizations, the College of Family, Home, and Social Sciences, BYU's Department of History, uh, the Maxwell Institute for Religious Scholarship, and the Charles Red Center for Western Studies. Uh, this sort of project very much aligns with each of those different organizations' uh, missions uh, to uh, understand, to uncover, to research, and to write about Western history or history more generally or the social sciences more generally or uh, religion and the Latter-day Saint past in particular. And so I think this falls very much in line with that and raises important questions. And and I want to be clear, I want to note one thing. A lot of the recent research on Uh, slavery and universities historically in the United States, a lot of the latest research that I found most compelling um, has looked at universities as a site for uh, debates over slavery Hmm. and advocacy of anti-slavery ideals. 
And it seems to me that um, a growing number of Latter-day Saints are aware of um, problematic and racist statements from past church leaders or others. Um, a growing number are aware that individuals like Abraham Smoot or Hayden Church or other members of the church here in territorial Utah owned slaves, brought black slaves with them to Utah, uh, enslaved, indentured, or adopted Native American children here in the late 19th century and so on. What we seem to be less aware of is uh, I think there at least appears to be hints of a broader anti-slavery uh, ideology that exists alongside that uh, more racist history and mm. pro-slavery history in the Latter-day Saint past. So a couple of weeks ago in class, our students read uh, some of Brigham Young's speeches that he delivered as governor of territorial Utah in the early 1850s uh, on the floor of the Utah State or Utah Territorial Legislature. Uh, the debates were purportedly over slavery, but they provided a venue in which Brigham Young uh, explicated for the first time publicly what we now refer to as the priesthood and temple ban that denied black men and women uh, access to saving ordinances in the temple and uh, the denied black men ordination to uh, the Latter-day Saint priesthood. And those comments from Brigham Young are often viewed in a vacuum uh, and not within the broader context that they were in response to uh, a pretty forthrightly anti-slavery speech from Apostle Orson Pratt, who also served in the territorial legislature, hmm. um, a speech in which uh, Pratt argued very forcefully uh, that slavery should not be legalized in Utah territory because it was morally repugnant, because uh, his phrase was, it would make the angels in heaven blush hmm. um, if Latter-day Saints were to condone this practice, and also because he feared that uh, with anti-slavery on the rise globally in the, at this moment in time in the 1850s with nations and empires like France and Great Britain having abolished slavery, that it would really uh, halt uh, Latter-day Saint missionary work in those countries because these uh, prospective converts there would associate Latter-day Saints with a pro-slavery position that mm -hmm. he didn't feel like should be advocated. And so we have these uh, anti-slavery and pro-slavery uh, racist and anti-racist views existing alongside one another in conversation, in contention, and in dialogue with each other. And we're hoping, we have a couple of students researching this anti-slavery ideology and this anti-slavery tradition in Latter-day Saint thought, and I'm really excited to see what they uncover. Yeah. I'll tell you what, uh, from someone who, you know, also works at BYU, uh, who is from the inside but looking more inner at what like what you guys are doing and having sat down even this very day and uh, completed like a 15 minute survey from the president of BYU, Kevin Worthen, about different racial things on campus and and all of this. It feels like there are changes that are being made on campus. There's that new committee on racial diversity and all that. I feel like in um, a way that maybe has never existed before, or maybe I'm just closer to it now, that there are some very, very promising things that are happening on the campus of BYU. And then subsequently, I got to feel like those things are happening in the church as a broader form. So uh, I'm looking forward to, I want to let people know that uh, this is just the first of, of, of maybe a couple conversations where as we get to the end of the semester or, or uh, at another time in the future when some more research has been done to be able to talk about some of these individuals and these ideologies and, and be able to share that and what has been learned. Uh, this semester and, and with this BYU Slavery Project. Uh, Christopher and Matthew, before I let you go, there is, uh, there is a question that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall, and I will ask that of you at this point. You're both going to get the same question, so whoever goes first, know that the other person is going to get the same question, and you can interpret it however you would like, but the question remains, what is your favorite part of your faith? You want to go first, Matt? Sure. That's, that's hard to uh, narrow down, but I would have to say as I get older and like super old, antiquated, <laughs> um, it is the ability to connect with people who are not like me. The, uh, the structure of the ward organization gives you a structured opportunity to serve people that you might not ordinarily associate with in our time of kind of political silos and social and cultural silos. Now that may very well coincide with the fact that I'm at an all-time high in terms of my 
satisfaction with my current church calling because I am the primary chorister and uh, <laughs> pianist. Yay. So at other times when I've had less desirable callings, I might not say that, yeah. but the opportunity to serve and work with uh, people uh, in that structured way is probably the highlight right now. What about you, Christopher? Yeah, I, I uh, would echo a lot of what uh, my colleague Matt says there. Um, and to that, I would add, um, there's this idea that's especially pronounced in, in 19th century Mormonism that I think continues up through the present. And that's the idea, uh, perhaps best articulated by Brigham Young, that Mormonism so-called embraces all truth wherever it can be found. Hmm. Um, he famously says, if the infidel has truth, that belongs to the Mormons, right? Um, wherever we find truth, we are taught that we're supposed to embrace it. And that uh, helps in uniting my personal uh, life as a Latter-day Saint and personal, wor personal worship as a Latter-day Saint with uh, my professional uh, work as a historian. And I think of the two as being in line with one another quite a bit where uh, I'm seeking after truth, I'm seeking after understanding. And along the way, I'm hopefully both doing good historical scholarship, but also uh, following that uh, encouragement from church leaders to uh, embrace truth wherever I discover it. Thank you very much, gentlemen. We hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week, and that when the time comes, you'll be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, we'll be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat. On the back row, we really gotta go on the Cultural Hall show.